0: show and you stay in the know with Bill Boy. All the cats wail and blow on the Bill Balance show. It's the only way to go with Bill Boy. We'll give you dynamite and violet, discussion and percussion, (laughs) witticisms, musicisms on KFWB. Stay with the Bill Balance show where the pop records grow into hits that you know with Bill Boy. And four. Donnie Mathis, number 26 of the fabulous 40 of KFWB up to date. Number one in Los Angeles, that's the projection label. At 19 minutes and 12 seconds before 10, color channel 98, summertime. Bill Balance here just celebrated, observed my fifth year today at KFWB and signed a new five year contract. In fact, the blood isn't even. The blood isn't even dry on the paper yet, and all I can say is all I am or ever hope to be, I owe. Hello, fabulous and gambling casino, Las Vegas. This is Granny Goose, and I just had the most marvelous idea. Shoot, Granny. (laughs) Take it easy, Fowler. I didn't mean shoot, Granny. I meant shoot, Granny. Use Granny Goose potato chips instead of poker chips. I have always thought that I should have great respect for the audience who, merely by tuning in, has given me every possible thing I could want from them, so I was trying to give them every possible thing they could imagine. Plus, you couldn't just play the music, it's about what happened between the records.
1: Chuck Bloor Dave Williams here. The YouTube viewers of this podcast are seeing pictures right now. I just wanted to explain for those of you using audio apps, the conversation with Jesse is coming right up. Jessica, although I take it, people call you Jesse. Is that right?
2: Yes. <laughs> I can
1: see that on the screen. So tell me about your family. Tell me about your dad. And uh, I'm gathering you were the, the youngster of the family. I'm the only one. <laughs> the only one? I thought yeah. you had a sister. No.
2: Well, okay. So, yeah, my dad he ha- he was married uh before right. my mom yeah. to uh, a lovely woman, Kath senior, who I knew growing up, and he had my sister with her. Okay. And then I don't remember when it was. I think it was before KFWB because I Feel like they were living in Arizona, if I remember the stories correctly.
1: I think Arizona's right.
2: Yeah. Tucson, uh, maybe? Possibly. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Because I do remember my dad telling me a story. They were living in Texas. And I know, yes. I think that first in San Antonio, I'm pretty sure, was like his first radio thing. And I remember he told me a story of my sister coming in and saying something like, Daddy. And he was like, Nope, we're out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk like that.
2: And we're out of here. We're out of Texas. Not happening. And so, <laughs> whatever year that was, I'm not sure that they were living in Arizona. He and his first wife split up, and then many years later, he met my mom. Uh-huh. So when I was, God, I don't remember. Let's see, my sister. I want to say she was. I mean, she was a solid 20 years older than me, easily. Yeah. 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 Um, I my sister and I. Uh, she passed when I was, I was driving. So I guess sixteen.
1: I didn't know that. I'm sorry.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she had. It was actually crazy. She had this uh, disease that had never been recorded in in Western medical history before. Really? Or or just legitimately had never happened before. Uh, it's now called Catherine's disease. It's crazy.
1: Is that right? I was unaware yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: (laughs) I said, here's hoping it's not genetic. (laughs) He, that was, so that's when you said to me, you're like, oh, I didn't expect you to remember much of his radio days because you were just a kid. And I was like, no, I wasn't born for like several decades later.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I was talking specifically about his time in Los Angeles. And at that time, I didn't know, I didn't know how old you are, or, you know, I didn't see any pictures of you and so forth. Uh, So yeah. uh, I was thinking in terms of uh, the stories that he told me about uh, all the parties that uh, they would have at the house and, you know, all the famous people that would come by and stuff because (laughs) in Los Angeles, he was a big deal. You know, he worked uh, before that in Texas. He worked at uh, KELP, I believe, in El Paso and then
2: San Antonio.
1: and then Dallas and at Dallas. In Dallas, he ran KLIF, which is where I work now. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, stations are nothing the same. They just got the same call letters, but that's where he really he really um, became famous for his work with uh, the McClendon stations and uh, and Top Forty radio. And uh, he really was a groundbreaker. You know, he w- he was a pioneer in that business, and yeah. uh, his effects his uh, um, inspiration lives on today. And I was just wondering about how that affected you when you were growing up. Did you have a lot of time with him or was he a lot on the, you know, on the go or what?
2: Oh, I had, my dad was the, just the greatest, the, the dreamiest father you could ever ask for. Like he, I was, you know, I was his baby. I was the apple of his eye and he loved me and he spent as much time with me as he possibly could. I mean, he did, I feel like I was in, um, close to graduating high school when he retired. So he did work a lot, but I would also go to work. I, I would, um, he would, during the summer, when I wasn't in school, he would take me to the office in Hollywood with him. And he had a room in the back where they would screen commercials. And so he was, uh, by the time I was well into the commercial, the, the advertising part of his career. Uh, right. uh, but he had this room where they would screen the commercials and stuff. And he would take me to work with him and he'd have a couple like, Disney movies on VHS or something. And I don't know if you knew this about my dad, but he was an incredible artist. Like, I did un- know that. You did? Yeah. Yeah. And he got me this this little like desk, portable desk thing that would open up. You could keep like paper and markers and stuff in it. Right. He would just stick me in the screening room and I'd watch Disney and I'd just like, draw all day. I would draw uh, portraits of all of his employees and then he ended up putting them all on the wall instead of actual Port like employee photos it was Uh, just my portraits of them
1: (laughs) that's great that's actually where i met him was in that office in that hollywood office and we did go into that screening area because uh yeah he had me helping out with some commercials he was doing for abc television for a new tv series uh or a couple of them i guess the new season on abc and this was 19 no 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 this was shortly after 2000, early 2000s, I think. And uh, we sat there and we watched these TV shows, and we go, "Oh man, that's awful! That's terrible! How are we going to sell this thing?" You know. And I was just, I was just so amazed to be because I met your dad simply by virtue of the fact that I would started working in Los Angeles and I knew of him. He was a very famous man, and especially yeah. at this at this point for his radio programming, but also. Uh, for the commercial work that he had done, and all the famous commercials that he had created,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so I called called him up one day, and I just said, "I, you know, I'm here. I'm working in town, and I'd I'd just like to come over and meet you. If I could get five minutes of your time, that would be a big thrill." He's, "Yeah, come on down," you know. And I did, <laughs> and he didn't give me five minutes. He gave me like three hours.
2: Yeah, uh, I was gonna say, but like a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right. And I'm thinking, don't you do anything around here? <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was just so friendly and so outgoing and the thing that struck me about him at the time and and I'm absolutely sure that if I asked anybody who knew chuck Bloor, uh, they would say the same thing it's like the reason he was so interesting was because he was interested in in you in people yeah really genuinely interested in who you were and and what you did and what you thought and how you lived and all that stuff. Yeah. It was, He was always inspirational. I, I'm I'm taking up your time, but I'm trying to explain.
2: No, no, no. I cleared I, out. So don't, don't no, I'm
1: not going to take a lot of time, but I mean, what I'm saying is I don't want people watching this to hear from me. I want them to hear from you, but I'm just kind of giving you the background. And uh, we used to go to, uh, we used to go to brunch over at Jerry's famous deli in Tarzana uh, on the boulevard about once yeah. a month or so. And we would sit there for hours and he would just he would talk about the past, but he also talked about ideas that were that were just dancing through his head right now. You know, come up with ideas for for the creativity of of radio and, and movies and everything else. And he was talking about TV shows he was trying to put together and stuff like that. I sometimes wonder if he ever got a night's sleep in his life because his his brain was his brain was always going
2: you know one thing that I remember my dad teaching me that I thought was so cool and I still hear things this way to this day was he uh you know what I mean one really cool thing about my dad that I always I tell all my friends when I talk about him is my I'm sure you probably know this but my dad has holds the record still to this day for most hall of fame inductions in the history of both radio and advertising separately
1: right
2: which yeah. is crazy and he told me that he got i remember he got into advertising because of his time in radio when the dj strike happened or maybe i'm mixing these times but i think it was when the dj strike happened and he had to take over he was the program director but then he had to take over all and be the dj you know Yeah. and he had to write copy uh for all the sponsors and deliver it himself and that's what kind of got he's like oh i like this is i like this like i like doing this and that's kind of what was his entree into the advertising field, but he taught me um, the most genuine and best way to, to sell something to someone is not to sell it to them at all. It's just to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And would, if you listen to some of his like commercials, I, I, I'm i blanking on a good example, but like they're very much a conversation. So like I remember we'd be sitting around the dinner table and I'd be say, I I don't know, try to, product of some kind that i was really into it and telling them about it i tell my yeah. mom and dad about it. oh it's so cool it it does this and then you could also use it for this which was really cool which i didn't know if it was intended for but it also did this and this and he goes there's your commercial <laughs> he would do that all the time like that's how so every he would listen to conversations he would work that into like that's how you sell something it's just like genuinely listening to like right. what loved or why it works he also used to bring stuff home all the time that he was working on like um There was this stuff. I think it was like magic carpet cleaner or something. It was this really foul-smelling like gel that you put. (laughs) But it really it worked. Like any stain was like gone in a second. And there was he did a he did a series of commercials for something called Slime, which is like this green stuff that you stick if you get a hole in your tire. You stick it and it inflates and like patches the hole from the inside, so you can keep Uh going. Always bring this stuff home, and I would always like get to play with all these products and stuff.
1: I can remember some of the commercials you're talking about and his approach to commercials. And his idea was to, to make you the viewer or the listener uh, become really intrigued, usually by telling a story about other people, you Mm -hmm. know, putting, uh, I've got some examples that I'm going to be running in this thing when I get, get this. So uh, probably, I'm thinking probably the most famous thing that he came up with was.
2: Safety. Pardon me. Driver safety.
1: No, I'm thinking of uh, Bell Telephone before it was AT and T, or maybe it was AT and T, but it was the Bell System, and the commercials were "Reach out and touch someone." <laughs> <laughs> Hello,
0: Robbie. Hi. How's school? Hi, Robbie. Fine. But well, you better let Higgins out before you have an accident. Amy, let the dog out, please. So how's <coughs> school? Thanks, Amy. Sounds like Amy has a big night tonight. I <laughs> did you know she was going out? She always thinks when she has a date. <laughs> so tell me. Don't look now. But I think Dad's going for his 8 o'clock snack. Al, we just ate two hours ago. Like I said, how's school going, Rob? Oh, that's Peter coming home from soccer practice. Better feed him dinner. Never mind about Peter. Come Hi, on, Hi. what's wrong, Robert? Said anything's wrong. You're not the only one in this family who can hear, you know. Um, you're something else. When the people you love come through loud and clear, that's AT and T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a big one. Yeah. He,
2: he came the up one- with that. Most impactful to me there are two that really stand out in my mind one i could not tell you what it was for i don't remember but my sister was in it my sister was a brilliant voiceover actress Uh and for some reason helen keller was helen keller was in this commercial my sister played and i just have this like audio this auditory memory of her whatever reason going it's just a flesh wound damn it get over it and like that was that was my dad wrote, could not tell you what the commercial was for, but he had another one about driver safety. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it for like ABC 7 News or something like that, like a news special on like driver safety. Yeah. And my Danny, Danny Dark. I don't know if you knew Danny.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, uh, Not actually my uncle, but he was Uncle Danny. Right. All great, he was my father. Yeah. I grew up with him and he had that velvet thundering voice, you know. And this commercial, to this day, I get, I cry when I hear it. It's so upsetting to me. And my dad created this scene. It was all auditory, but it felt like you were there. And it was a a dad and his kid in the car. And I think it was inspired by me and him in the car one day, knowing my dad, the way he writes. Um, And it was a dad and his kid in the car. You could hear the rain, right? Mm -hmm. The – I. If I remember correctly, the dad is on the phone with the mom saying, like, oh, we're on our way home. And the little kid you can hear is kind of like, Doo, do 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 like, playing with something yeah, yeah. in the back. And then you hear, daddy, look out! And just car, like, wow. brakes, screech, and boom! And then Danny comes in with that booming voice. Ooh, I get choked up just thinking about This commercial was so upsetting to me my whole life, but it was so powerful. Like, the fact that it's been... I don't know, 30 plus years and I can still hear it and it still makes me emotional thinking about it because it was such a powerful commercial. was really a testament to not just him as a writer but like a director as well and, and just the way he saw things. When I was little, my dad put me in as many commercials as he could. <laughs> Why? I have no idea but he did. And I remember it used to drive me nuts because he would sit in the recording booth with me and he would mouth the words Uh-huh. I was so the, his script, mouth the words as I was saying them with so much emotion in his face, <laughs> so distracting. And I'd be like, "Can you just get out?" Like it would like drive me nuts. But he was so into his craft, you know, right. he was so passionate about it.
1: I had that and, experience uh, with him too. I had that experience because he uh, he uh, he sat with me while I was creating some commercials and uh, some commercials that he had he had uh, written. And he, he was doing the same thing with me, except that I was, you know, 40. <laughs>
2: yeah, he did it with everyone. It was so annoying.
1: <laughs> well, it was a little bit. It was a little bit intimidating. <laughs> you know, there- this is Chuck Bloor here. If he just leave me alone, maybe I could figure out that. But, uh, yeah, wonderful. Did you ever have any inclination to go into any of those businesses that he was involved with?
2: R- radio and advertising? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not really. Um, I... Uh... Radio, definitely, I would not have a clue like that. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, I wanted to be on the radio in a very different way. I was a, I have a degree in performing arts. I was a singer. So that was oh. that. Was my focus. Um, advertising, I sort of did for a little bit. He, uh, one of my first jobs, I think I was 19, I think. Eighteen? Eighteen? He oh I can't remember this. George Green. He hooked me up with a friend of him named his name George Green. Right. Do you know George?
1: He he used to run uh K B C. Yes. Yeah.
2: And at the time uh he was working with Meryl, the guy that runs the Zagat. Meryl. No. Big 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 food critic guy. And he had a show and and uh he, my dad hooked me up with George, and I, I don't remember what their relationship was, but he was working with this guy who was a big, big deal food critic. Like, he was, I guess, the one that decides on the number of stars in the Zagat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he had a radio show, um, and George had me going to all these different restaurants and meeting with the restaurant managers or whoever it was to, like, basically sell airtime and like convince them of like why Meryl's right for your show. And here's what we can do with your copy. And here's, and I would write like a couple examples of like copy, which was probably the closest I ever got to anything. My dad did.
1: Well, the problem is they were trying to have a, have you be a salesperson.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the part that, the part that they liked was the, was when I would write copy and come up with ideas and they were like, you're really good at that. And I was like, well, I, I I should be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I was reading something uh, something you wrote. I guess it was on your dad's Facebook page and it looked like it was shortly after he passed a couple of years ago. And uh, it was some of your memories about about uh, the times you you would spend together and the, the way he interacted with you and it was very very moving. He told, you, he told you stories, right? He read you books, but he also made up stories on the spot.
2: Mm-hmm. I know exactly what post you're talking about. You know what's crazy? That was the day my dad died. What's that, right? I wrote um, the day he died was, I mean, obviously it'll stick with me forever, but there's so many moments from that day that are so wild and so, on brand for him if you really knew him Mm. you know i'll give you an example this story blows my mind so um my dad by the time he passed i mean he was very old he was 92 right and uh by the time he passed um he well without going into too much detail he um he was 92 he wasn't in like had didn't have perfect control of his Bought his slims and stuff anymore. Yeah, you know I he needed help, and the shit. Oh, sorry, the worst right. right. part. Sorry. Um, the worst part about it, be, just because of who my dad was, was that he had started to lose the ability to to communicate verbally. Uh huh. And because this was a master speaker, you know what I mean.
1: Communicator that, in every sense. Yeah.
2: Every sense, and he kind of lost that. And I think, you know, my dad, again, if you knew my dad, this is not, this is going to sound judgy, but if you knew my dad, you'd get it. Like, my dad had an ego that could fill a football stadium. <laughs> but I know. Back in- <laughs> those,
1: those days that we spent three hours at uh, Jerry's Deli, it wasn't uh, talking about me, mostly.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> For him not to be able to speak, I think, towards the end, he, he chose not to, because mm-hmm he would rather say not just not yeah. than like stumble and struggle. Yeah. Um, he got a little bit sick, uh, and he like sick, sick, like a, like a, like a cold or something. Not like, not like terminal sick. Right. And he ended up going to the hospital cause he had, he was whatever. I don't want to give too much detail, but, uh, he ended up going to the hospital cause you know, when you're that old and you get sick, that's you should go. Yeah. He was there for three days. Um, the first day my mom called me and my dad, he would, he was clumsy all his life, all his, I cannot remember a single time we ever went out to dinner where he didn't knock his drink over on the dinner, on the dining table, like ever, (laughs) like like messy, clumsy dude. And, uh, he, towards the end, he would fall a lot. And because of certain medications he was on, they told us anytime he falls, take him straight in to get checked, make sure Mm. everything's okay. Um, and so when my mom called me and said, daddy's in the hospital, it was a little commonplace at that point. Cause it yeah. would, he fell a lot. Right. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, you know, just let me know. <laughs> and she was, and I don't know what it was. I vividly remember I had just gotten out of the gym and I was walking to coffee with a friend when I got this call and she told me, "Oh, Dad, daddy flipped and he's in the hospital, but we'll probably get him go pick him up in a couple hours. Like it was during COVID too. So like, Oh really? Uh, yeah, it was in twenty twenty. Right after that started. Yeah, it'll be um, two years in since he July? passed on July sixteenth. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so I remember my mom calling me, and it, like I said, it wasn't that out of the ordinary, but I remember getting off the phone, and the second I got off the phone, I started getting flooded with all these memories of like my dad, and I started telling my friend who was a relatively new friend. So she'd never met him kind of like, Oh, well, you know, my dad, he invented the top 40 countdown and my, and he's been in more hall of fames than anyone in, in two completely different industries. And just, and I'm like, I I remember thinking, why am I telling her all that? Like something, something inside me was like, and uh, I, I called later, I called the hospital check on him and they were, they said he was in the ICU. And I was like, Whoa, what? Like my mom did not tell me that. Yeah she didn't know that for whatever reason right. um and I called her I was like uh we need to get over there like this is worse than than you let on um and they said that he was uh he had I I, I don't I to preserve his dignity I don't know how much I want to say but like he was he was not doing well um and so he was there for three days and every morning I would get up I live in Studio City. He was in the hospital in Tarzana. I live. I work in Hollywood. So I'd get up early in the morning. I'd go to the hospital. I'd spend like an hour or so with my dad. And then I'd go to work in Hollywood. And then I'd come back mm. to the hospital for the last of visiting hours every day. Just so he knew. Because his memory was not great. Right. Then. Um, but I wanted him to be very aware of my presence. And know that I was there. On the third day, they told us he had, was doing so much better. And he was going to be released. He could come home,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is what I was used to hearing. At this, you know, Daddy always came home. Right. Uh, and I went to see him that morning, and he was no longer in. I well, well, he was in the ICU. He was deemed ICU, and when you were ICU at that point in 2021, because it was right when Delta happened, you were allowed to have two people visit you. Right. If you were upgraded from ICU, you're only allowed one visitor. What was weird to me was he was. Upgraded, but they kept him in the same room. So I was like, well, environmentally nothing's changed. So, right, so yeah. luckily, thank God, I got there like 10, 15 minutes before my mom. I didn't know about the two person rule at this point. Uh, because like I said, he was in the same room. So I got I got about 15 minutes alone, just me and my dad. And uh like I said, he had a lot of trouble moving. Like my ex and I used to kind of have to like help him sit up and you know, and he had a lot of trouble talking. And I was sitting on the edge of his bed, just like kind of holding his hands and talking to him. And all of a sudden, he just sits up, and I was like, "Whoa!" Because like, I'm not used to him doing that. And I was like, "Are you? What's what? What's wrong? What do you what What do you need?" And he put his arms out like this, and he goes, "You." Clear as day, and I was like, "Oh, okay, Daddy." And I just like <laughs> laid on his bed, snuggled. Then my mom got there. And uh, she was sitting, there's a little couch across from the hospital bed. She was sitting right there. And and um. I remember two stories, you know, Roger Miller.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So
2: I yeah, used uncle, to talk
1: about Roger Miller a lot. They were good.
2: Yeah. Him. My Roger, uh, when he passed, I remember this story where he got mad at my aunt Mary because she was being very rude. He felt it was the day he died and uh, he was talking to somebody in the room and my aunt Mary was like, there was nobody there. And she's like, Roger, what? Who are you? And he goes, Mary, you're you're being very rude. This is Nancy. This is my angel. Don't you see her say hello, Mary? Wow. Yeah. My grandma, my dad's mom, same thing. The day she died in the hospital room, my dad was there. And she said, don't you see your father? He's standing right there. He was long gone. Yeah. So we're sitting in the hospital room. My mom's sitting on the couch. It's a two-seater couch, just my mom on it. And my dad is staring at this couch, staring at it. And I was like, Daddy, what are you looking at? And he, again, was struggling with words. He was like, I was, uh, uh, sitting there. Not sitting where? He was sitting there. And went, what, Mom? And he goes, no, no, no. Sitting there. And I was like, who? Who's sitting where? And those, I started to remember those yeah. stories back And I went, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and I didn't want to say anything to my mom. I didn't want to freak her out. But then again, he starts staring at the ceiling, staring. And I was like, hello, hi, excuse me, I'm talking to you. And he's like, oh, oh. and then he kind of snapped back, was looking at me. And then this nurse came in and she was like, oh, you two can't be in here. He can only have one visitor. And I was like, no, there's been two of us this whole time. And she goes, yeah, but he's not in ICU anymore. So only one at a time. And I was like, oh, okay, but you didn't, he's still in the same room. Like, what does it matter?
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: She was such, pardon my language, she was such a bitch, this nurse. She was like, Do you know how many people are in this ER with with Delta? And no, 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 no. And I was like, I don't care. I'll take, I will survive. I'll take the Delta. Yeah. I'm spending my dad. Yeah. And she was like, it made me leave. I was like, You know what? It's fine. I got to go to work anyway, Mom. You hang out. Daddy, I'll come home. I'll come after work. Right. And again, not really able to speak that clearly. And I looked at him. I was like, Daddy, I'm going to go to work. And he looked at me and he goes, Just. I love you, love you, love you. Oh, Sorry. <laughs>
0: right. And he
2: said so clearly. And I said, I love you too, daddy. And I walked out of the room. I got to work. So Tarzan in Hollywood. Uh, I was in there. I was talking to one of my coworkers who knew what was going on. And I was like, he's doing so much better. They're letting him go home today. Like he was actually like, he was more lively than I've seen him in a long time was, like sitting up and he was speaking clearly and I haven't seen him do that in a, a really long time she's like see the doctors don't know what they're talking about I told you he'd be fine <laughs> I was like yeah you're right as I'm walking from her desk back into my office I hear my phone vibrating and it's my mom and I I literally just been saying like he's coming home and my mom called me and she goes the doctor just called she, he said we need to get to the hospital right now and just the tone of her voice I just hung up the phone and I screamed to my I was like <laughs> she goes go and I just ran ran out to my car jumped in the car it's Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. in Los Angeles from Hollywood to Tarzana I mean it's a suicide mission and I remember I I called my boyfriend at the time and told screaming screaming bloody murder just like freaking out like telling him what was going on because I didn't even really know what was going on all I knew was get there now so he called my two best friends they're calling me and I'm Losing it. I'm like, he cannot be alone. He cannot be alone. Just like mm. losing my mind, getting like driving as fast as I can. And then the hospital calls and it's the doctor. And I pick up and he goes, Who cool, cool is he? Jessica? Like that. And I went, And I was like, I'm on the freeway. I'm on my way. I'm coming as fast as I can. I'm on the freeway right now. Like, you know, and he, and he goes, uh. Phone changes as soon as he hears I'm on the freeway. He's like, Okay. Uh, all right. I'll talk to you. We'll, Okay. We'll just talk when you get here. Okay, great. So I guess he told the front desk I was coming. So I get there. I literally was on the phone with my boyfriend. He's like, babe, you can't be speeding like this. Like you're going to get pulled over. I was like, they're going to have to chase me into the hospital. I am not stopping. And, and I feel like they'll understand, you know, yeah. so I get there and it's COVID. So there's like all these, you know, you got to go through all this stuff to get into the hospital. Mm-hmm. I had been there earlier that day already. I still had my little sticker from earlier. So I just slapped it back on. There's this long line you have to go through at security, whatever, and I ran past that line, like just blew by everybody, ran inside. The security guy tried to stop me, and I was like, "My desk!" And this chick in front was like, "Just let her go." So I just started running, and the front desk was holding out a pass for me, and I just ran by, grabbed it like like that, like an Olympic torch, just pass and go. And this this hospital was massive. The hallways were like too ricky and i'm just running and running and running and i remember my lungs were like on fire and i just kept running and my mom keeps calling and i keep declining it because i'm like i don't know what you're gonna say but i don't want to hear it like (laughs) and i get around the corner and i know they can hear me because i'm hauling in like sneakers through Mm. linoleum floors i get around the corner of the nurse's station i get into my dad's room my dad's room was shaped like this right Mm. so there's a little hallway and then you turn the corner and his bed's right here I get into the doorway and this large woman I've never seen before is standing in there and she just turns around and catches me as I run in. And I, my emotions were just, I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, I almost threw this woman off me. And I was like, who are you? (laughs) And she goes, you must be Jessica. And I was like, yeah, where's my dad? And she just looked at me and immediately I just, Mm -hmm. and I, is he gone? And she said, yes, we not I'm so sorry. And I was like, uh, like collapsed into a chair. And I'm like, all oh, the dramatics. And uh, I hear my mom behind the corner. She's And I could hear it in her voice. She's like, Jess, do you want to come? And I'm no, no, I'm not. Nope. I didn't want to walk any further into the room. I could see the end of his bed. And I could see like his feet under the covers.
0: Yeah.
2: I wouldn't go any further into the room than that because I didn't that morning. The last thing he had done was sat up and looked me in the eye and said, clear as day. I love you, love you, love you. And I was not about to go any further into that room and have that last memory be anything else. And this man, uh, comes walking out from behind where my dad was. This like kind of older black guy. I I don't know if he's a preacher or a pastor, but he had the little white, you know, mm-hmm. uh, never seen him before either and he came up to me and he said i just want you to know and this is a very long-winded story but it, <laughs> it's very on brand for my dad um i can i later came to find out that he actually passed away three minutes after i got that phone call so there was no way i was gonna make it Yeah, uh, but i didn't know that at the time so this pastor comes out and he said i just want you to know that i was i was here um when he passed and I was with him, and so were his doctors and nurses. We were all right here. He was not alone. And I held his hand. Ooh. I held his hand, and I said a prayer over him. Now this is this is my dad's watch. Mm-hmm. He loved this watch so much. And I, the day he went into the hospital, I didn't want it to get lost or like stolen or anything. So he put it on me, and I'd been wearing it on my wrist. It's also it's um it's this kind of it like. So long as you wear it, it keeps going. But if you take it off, it kind of winds down. So right. I've never taken it off since the day he put it on my wrist. So it's still set to like his heartbeat. Wow. Uh, so the man said to me, I said a prayer over him. And he said to me, I said Psalm 23, 4 over him. Now, I, my dad passed two years ago. I got this tattoo 10 years ago. And I've never seen this man in my life.
1: Oh, Wow. What what inspired I'm, you to get that tattoo?
2: Uh, Psalm 23, 4 is I fear no evil for thou art with me.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And it was just something that these are everything I have on here are little reminders like this stands for positive mental attitude. Uh-huh. This is short for this too shall pass. Just little reminders. Yeah. yeah. This one I'm gonna pick this up. This one I got for my dad.
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
2: That is the the microphone that started his radio career.
1: Sure. Oh, that's wonderful.
2: Thank you. But I'd never seen this guy in my life, so there's no way he knew. Yeah. And what's crazy is it's sitting under my dad's watch. Huh. Yeah. And I just in that moment, it was like, I, it, my dad was a, a very much a God-loving man. And he he was very spiritual. And uh in that moment where this pastor just materialized out of nowhere that I've never seen before and just so happens to say a prayer over my father as he passes that I have tattooed on my wrist that's sitting underneath his watch this whole time. Wow. Like that was so him. That was so my dad. And I it felt like him just doing that, you know? And then two days later, it's one of my best friend's birthdays, and uh we went to breakfast at this place in Hollywood. And as we were leaving, um, we were very close to Selma and Argyle, which is where my dad's office was. And I said, do you mind? Can we just, I just want to stop. I haven't been there since I was a kid. Like I'd like to just stop. Mm. Um, And she was like, yeah, sure, for sure. And we went, and we stopped and I jumped out of the car. I'm standing there just looking at the office and I'm staring at this window that I spent my whole childhood sitting in. You know, my, that was my dad's office. And there, you know, it's Hollywood. So there's like a lot of homeless people everywhere now. Right, yeah. Homeless lady, one door over with a boom box. She was listening to a song. And in that moment, I didn't really realize until I thought about it later, like what song it was. But as I'm standing there in front of my dad's office, staring up at his. Oh, sorry. This is a hard story for me to tell. Staring up at his office window it was the song by your side by sade Mm -hmm. the very first line of which is you think i'd ever leave your side baby you know me better than that which was to me oh my about being by your side even after you passed off and that song was playing outside my dad's office and then right then all of a sudden somebody came out of the recording studio door, the one that was downstairs, you know, the studio downstairs. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I was like, hey, do you work here? And he's like, yeah. I was like, listen, this used to be my dad's building and he just passed away two days ago. I haven't been here since I was a kid. Like, I'd love to come in and look. And he goes, Chuck Lord? And uh, this guy was like not too much older than me. So I was like, uh, yeah. (laughs) And he goes, of course. Yeah. Come in. Of course. I was like, Oh, okay. Whole front of it, totally different, repainted, remodeled, all that. But I started looking through the recording studios and then in the very last room, they still had the uh the editing bay, all the controls and stuff that my dad yeah. used to use. Yeah. They- I- and there was somebody in there, like recording an audiobook, which I was like, How fitting. Like
1: <laughs> no kidding.
2: Yeah. Cause my dad, you know. He loved to tell stories. And there was someone in there telling stories on his old editing bay.
1: Well, you know, you're of all the people I've ever known, your dad had was had more life in him.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> than
1: anybody I've ever met. I don't remember ever seeing him angry or even annoyed. I'm sure he got that way at times, but oh, I I've never saw it. it. Um,
2: I've seen it. It was usually directed at me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was always a. I, I'm, I'm guessing there was always a little a hint of disappointment from him. It's like there were times when he would say something to me. We were talking about radio, and I would talk about my job or how I was performing or what I was doing and stuff, and he would like, no, 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 you got that all wrong. Yeah. You know, like uh, so, yeah. he was a men- he was a mentor to me, and I know everybody. Everybody who ever knew or worked with uh, with Chuck was uh was filled with, was filled with him you know yeah. i w- i would leave after uh, spending time with him and it just it made my day it made my week and i would think about him and the things he had said and the things he had taught me simply by taking time to spend the time with me and you obviously have uh, have gotten that gift from him <laughs> the gift of being expressive And
2: And we're we're very much alike, my dad and I willing
1: to be emotional. You you uh, you speak beautifully and uh, thank you. You just uh, I mean, you know, it's obvious. Thank you. It's obvious
2: that post that you were talking. That's where that whole story came from. That post that you were talking about was I wrote that the day he passed away that we had no. Obviously, we didn't know that was going to happen, but we didn't know. Like we didn't have like a no obituary prepare or like anything right. like that and uh, my mom and dad had, had made these arrangements like years and years and years before he passed which was the same thing we did with my mom's uh, mom and dad which they were to be cremated and um, ashes spread at sea which made sense for my grandma and grandpa because they grew- lived on the beach in Malibu um, but my parents I guess set that up like long ago and uh, so that was the only thing there was no like funeral there was no anything um so I wanted to do something write something you know my dad obviously was an incredible writer he loved writing and he loved my writing he kept everything mm. <laughs> he still had a my my senior thesis was a book of poetry that I'd written and he still had it in his office <laughs> sure uh, so I I sat down that day um i called you know my 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 boyfriend and my three closest friends and right after it happened and uh my mom left the hospital f- before i did she she went home i stayed probably too long but i just was i couldn't walk out of the room like i couldn't i don't know whatever anyway but i called them and i told them by the time i got back to my parents house my all my best friends were there <laughs> And we were all sitting around the table. We were talking about my. my I mean, these are I've known me since I was in like junior high. Like they knew my dad, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're we're close with them. And we're all sitting around telling stories. And I, I don't know what came over me. I just jumped on my phone and that post that you're talking about. I wrote that in like two minutes. Like it just like it just all. Mm-hmm came out and i got so many like messages and and comments and stuff But oh my god like this was so beautifully written and like how moving it to, and it just like it just poured out yeah in that the day that he passed and i was sitting you know sitting in my childhood home and i was looking at looking around and some of the things i mentioned in the post like how my dad used to climb up the orange trees in the backyard every morning yeah. during the summer and make orange juice and how he used to do laps in the pool and every morning to like stay fit Fitness was never really his thing, but like he liked to swim. <laughs> and um, I forget the point of the story, but like I remember you had said something about the post, and that's that's where it came from. It was that day. It was a couple hours after he had passed, and it just that whole thing just came out without even it wasn't even like thinking. It just like blah, 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 and like came out mm. and was committed to, to the page, and that kind of served as his like kind of his obituary,
1: yeah. sort of. Yeah. Well. It's quite a story. Thank you so much. You've really, you
2: know, he, my dad, loved attention, (laughs) so he would have loved this. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like so happy that I get to do that for him Uh, because he's so into it.
1: Well, you know, uh, I I don't know what I don't know what to say. I feel, you know, I was I was so honored to have not only met him, but actually spent a fairly significant amount of time with him. And, and like I said, I was nobody to him. I wasn't somebody that he met in, you know, in a business sense or was introduced by somebody else. I just called and said, can I come by? And he said, yes. And from there we became friends. And I know that he had thousands of friends Oh yeah, that were at least that close and much closer. And you know, <laughs> I don't know how he found the time. Uh, <laughs> But uh
2: the friendliest guy. He would talk to anybody that wanted to talk to him. He was yeah. just the friendliest, friendliest man in the world. Sweetest man that ever lived, truly.
1: And it goes without saying he was an absolute genius. He was radio and advertising. Um, I'm gonna put together some of his some of his best work to put around this conversation. And when I get it all put together, I'll let you know. Okay.
2: I think the one he won the Clio or he won a couple Clio's, but I think uh The first one was for The Remarkable Mouth. That was like his biggest.
1: biggest That rings a bell and I can't remember what it is, but I'll look it up. It was
2: a television commercial for a radio station. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was like, how do I, what do I? And then he got this like super hot model chick. He used to remember her name. Can't remember her name. She was a stunner, though. And just put her in. I think she's in like a tube top, so like it was shot up, so it looked like she was like, yeah. like not wearing anything. And it just zooms all the way into her mouth, and then she's lip syncing like all these. I assume top forty, all these songs that they would play on that radio station. Uh-huh. And then it'd be like KLOS or like whatever. I I just made that up. Like whatever station it would come out of her mouth, and it was so huge. For whatever station hired him to do it, that all of a sudden he got uh, like he was getting. All these different radio stations wanted him to make, make the same commercial, but like right. for their. Right. Yeah. He won a Cleo for it. One of several. I'd like to tell you about a remarkable radio station. It's The Who, stage 28 in your Double Q concert connection.
0: Can you say that? It must be Cruiser on FM 98. <laughs> double q's block party
1: weekend fm 98 double q crank it up you have a remarkable mouth
0: we have a remarkable radio station
1: first of all thank you so much and secondly please say hello to your mother for me i i only i met her a couple of times there at the house i don't even remember why i was at the house it was like i came by to pick up your dad or he was busy in his office <laughs> and you just said come on over and and so forth so uh i just really appreciate this time very much you're a delightful person i wish you well what is it you do what is blush and bone
2: i'm a makeup artist i do uh film television and celebrity oh yeah
1: well that that makes perfect sense because you're very well made
2: oh thank you <laughs> i mean i am also the spinning image of my father so
0: the people you love come through loud and clear, that's AT&T. Someone often asked me what are the best spots we've ever done, my favorites and so forth, and that would have to be reach out and touch someone. People from AT&T came to my office one day, and they had uh, all these research, and they said, we'd like to try to change people's feeling about calling long distance, because uh, all this research says. Calling long distance to them uh, is just nothing but a big bulge in the bill at the end of the month. And uh, we want to see if there's something we can do to make them change that attitude. And I said, well, what do you want? He said, well, we want them to have good feelings about the spots. As a matter of fact, what they had done right about that time was a beautiful hit record called Feelings. It was feelings. Da-da-da-da. And they had bought the music to Feelings. And they said, well, we want to do something with this music. And I said, boy, that's going to be a second few minutes. He said, no, no, it doesn't have to be. He said, we just want to talk about how nice it would be to talk to somebody a long, a long way away. You know? OK. Well, we couldn't think really of what we were going to do. But we had a lot of ideas. And and we kept bouncing them off the client. Oh, yeah, 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 that's good. You know? Uh. And they'd make little suggestions and so on. Well, Don had a girlfriend. Don Richmond, my partner. One of the most brilliant men I've ever, ever known and loved. Anyway, uh, Don had this girlfriend. And he says, if you had a chance to talk to anybody, uh, who, could you, who would you like to talk to? I said, well, Anybody? on to Jim would you like to talk to Abe Lincoln no but I'd like to talk to my father do you know his number well no he's dead and on to oh, wow. well well how call him I can't do that yes yes you can pick up the phone isn't there something you'd like to tell your father that you were never able to when he was alive and she said well I can think up a couple of things. In the meantime, Don's turned on the microphone, and he said, "Well, go ahead. Call him. Just just pretend he's on the other end of that line and call him." And so she says, "Oh, um, come on." He gave her this phone, no cord, know, and she took it, and she says, "Hi, Dad." I kept looking at Don. This is ridiculous. "Hi, Dad. How you doing? I realize you're dead, but how you doing?" and no 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 and she got into it something I always wanted to tell you that I never did when you were here just how much I loved you for all the things you taught me well so it was about a three minute spiel she was crying at the end of it so we took it down to our genius editor and said make this into a 60 second spot well we came down about an hour later when he said okay come on down here came down there the girl was still with us and he played that spot everything you taught me and and he had that thing cut down and it was so beautiful and then in those days the only thing that AT&T wanted to say was uh, on the first we had to say, a long distance phone call can make you closer, can bring you closer. That's all it was. And then at the end of it, it, we had to identify the sponsor, of course. And so Don Richmond would say, the bell system. So, we heard that spot, and, uh, put the music behind it, and we called them and said, okay, uh, come on. And, uh, and also in the line we had to think, feel good, yeah. Call someone you like from this far away. It to tie in with feelings, right? And so we played it for them and they of course loved it. And so we put that on the air and we started trying to do other spots like it and, and did. None that were that great, but you know pretty good spots. And about, oh, this was a head, we were doing these spots for eight years. 40 of them a year. I mean, this it was the biggest thing we ever did. But that campaign was so great for them. It really turned... Okay, anyway. Uh, about three years into the campaign, these same guys came back with all their books. And we said, we'd just like you to know what happened with this stuff. And uh, and then they showed us the results. Now the same same uh, poll that they'd taken us. Now, totally the opposite the only way to communicate with people. And, you you know, every day, call them every day, whatever it was. And, uh, and they said, now we're going to change the name of the campaign. We had a fella in New York write new music, and we call it Reach Out and Touch Some More. And so they said, oh, okay. And we continued to do the spots for another five years after that as Reach Out and Touch Some More. And, oh, God, they won every award. They could ever win. And it really, I think, you know, I go again bragging about myself but I think changed the face of advertising because for the first time real honest emotion was being put into commercials and it was working it's so important to make someone happy make just one someone happy make just one heart to heart You, you sing to One smile that cheers you One face that lights when it leaves you
1: One girl, you're, you're everything Coming up on the end of this episode, Dave here again. I want to thank you for listening on audio apps, and I want to thank Dan O'Day for the use of his wonderful interview with Chuck Bloor, and my old friend Zach Bowles of Studio Z in Sacramento for his reading of the Chuck Bloor quote near the beginning of this episode. It was masterful, Zach. Chuck would approve.
0: Is the answer someone to love Is the answer once you found her your world around her, make someone happy, make just one someone happy, and you will be happy
1: too.